Time for the August 5th, 2022 edition of Weekly Signals Weekly Review. A personal recollection of the last 168 hours of history broadcasting on National Underwear Day <laughs> from the University of California at Irvine in the backyard of KUCI 88.9 FM. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And as always, celebrity lifestyle manager, Mahler, the fake news dog. Good morning, Mahler. Thank you. Thank you. Today we'll be talking about, uh, coming up, Yeah. be talking about mouse embryos, okay. vanishing snow, space debris pollution, the cartwheel galaxy, and a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But first, this is kind of a, I don't know, personal question, maybe. Okay. Hope you don't mind me asking, but Please. Uh, what role does your nose play in sex appeal? Hmm. You know, the scent, the not scent. your nose itself, because, oh, okay. you, you know, you're yeah. wearing that mask right yeah. now. Yeah. Well, uh, what? I can't even yeah. see your nose. That's interesting. Uh, Are you a fan of uh, olfactive aphrodisiacs? I don't know. You know, you I'm don't gonna, know? I don't. I mean, I my no. I don't have a great sense of smell. Oh. I, I don't. I, it's yeah. It pl- has plagued me in my life. Uh, huh. But every once in a while, I know what you're talking about. And when I pick up the scent, if you will, yeah, I find it to be very appealing. The scent. You know what I'm saying? What do you mean? Like, a, like, a, like if I can smell. What? If I can, if I pick up a scent from an attractive young woman or older woman or whatever. Do you like perfumes? Uh, n- no, 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 that hasn't, no, that's not it. It's not perfumes. It's, it's not the perfume. actual. It's actually the female scent. The scent of a woman. scent of yeah. a woman. Yes. Wasn't that a movie? It should have been. It was Al Pacino? Yes, it was. Yeah. And he got in trouble or something happened. Well, him. I'm sure it, looking at the film now, it's probably wildly in, you know. Inappropriate. Uh, inappropriate, yeah, uh, but. But uh, he was. Well, I now think, it's wildly inappropriate. Yeah. In another ten years, <laughs> it it'll be it'll be celebrated. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think he won an Academy Award for that. I'm not sure. Someone did. Yeah, someone did. From Scientific American, the common pesticide, fenbuconazole. Wow. Yeah. Fenbuconazole. Yeah. Is classified as relatively safe for bees because it targets fungi. Been a Fenbuconazole does, Mm -hmm. should be safe for bees, right? Mm -hmm. But researchers found a surprising side effect. Fenbuconazole exposure altered two distinct components of male horned mason bees' courtship ritual. Mm -hmm. A male typically vibrates his thorax alluringly. You know that. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I always am vibrating my thorax. I've tried, and I, I just can't, can't seem to can't pull it. it off. No, no. Well, males uh, of the uh, male-horned mason bee uh, kind, mm-hmm. they vibrate their thorax. I don't know how this, these writers came up with the word alluringly. I guess that's right. Well, it, if it seems to be working, maybe that's... It's luring. Yeah. Al- females. <laughs> yes. And also relies on its scent to attract females. Well, there the you males go. do. Hmm. Okay. But exposure to fenbuconazole lowered the vibrational frequency possibly by influencing muscle contractions, and additionally altered the male's chemical profiles, changing their scent. Mm. 
So this uh, fenbiconazole, which is a, uh, a pesticide, mm-hmm. made them smell differently. Yeah. Females seem to put, be put off by these changes. Yeah. They wouldn't have any of it. This kind of fenbiconazole triggered female mating avoidance could reduce populations of horned masoned bees and other species with similar mating habits. Yeah. So the females got one look at his. Well, they, 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 yeah, they didn't, they saw his thorax vibration got, yeah, yeah. and said, that's not good that's enough. That's not good. Yeah. Your and inadequate thorax. A, I'm yeah. out of here. Yeah, yeah. And then they took a sniff. They took a sniff and that was it. Yeah. Game over. Yeah. Wow. You know, I, while this is mildly amusing, anything that Fs with bees upsets uh-huh. me tremendously. Yeah? Anything that's... You like little bees? I love bees. I went for... Yes, I love bees. I love everything about bees, except the stinging part. There was a time when my, my father wanted me to help him open a beehive business when we first moved to Irvine here. Wow. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, I don't want to be wearing one of those suits and carrying bees around. I mean, I know it's, you know, it's not all that. I was a young man back yeah, then. And, you had other things. And my life goal yeah. wasn't to yeah, wear a beekeeper. hazmat suit <laughs> and carry bees around. Yeah. yeah. I but think now look where I am. I, well, I yeah. think it's a noble profession. And anyone who oh, is engaged too. in it, my hat's off to you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's some, well, there's some you know, that uh, use pesticides. Oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Some of you, know, you call up one of those guys and say, I got a beehive in my oh, attic. Yeah. And they'll just well, blow them up. My dad had a hornet's nest take, take hold in, in the, under, the eaves of his garage on uh-huh. the underside. And that was nasty. Now, uh-huh. I love bees. Not a big fan of hornets. <laughs> Because they seem to well, have one thing in mind. Mike. They know. They seem to have one thing in mind, uh-huh. and that is to scare the crap out of you and to sting you. Uh-huh. They seem to be very aggressive. And I'm probably being unfair to hornets and, uh, but, or wasps. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. But they seem very malevolent. We had a couple of grizzly bears in our garage. Whoa. Yeah. Holy. And, in and, Irvine? Oh, yeah. A couple of grizzly bears walked in, and we, we brought out the, the grizzly bear exterminator, <laughs> and they took care of that. <laughs> they took care of that. You know, that was just sensationalizing fell, that story. I fell for that. So hook, people could listen. Hook, line, and sinker, I fell for that. I know. But you were you were drawn in, right? I was. You, you had you, me. And you know, that's the problem with news. They're yeah, all this sensationalizing yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff. You had me. I had this next story. They were sensationalizing the next story yeah. that I'm about to read. Yeah. It's about restoring cellular life in dead pigs. Cellular life. Cellular life. Cellular life in dead pigs. But the Washington Post... Headlined the story like a zombie newsflash, right, you know. Right. The pigs had been dead for an hour. Scientists made their hearts beat again. Yeah. Yeah, like, nah, not so much. Yeah, yeah. Like they were zombie pigs or something, you know. I'm not worried about zombie pigs. <laughs> I, <laughs> You're not worried about no, zombie I'm not, pigs? No, I'm not. I'm, I've, you know what, I bring them on, I say, you know, I say, <laughs> bring them on. Yeah, I guess Zombie so. pig armies. But regular coming, pigs. Regular pigs, uh, okay. They can eat you. They can eat you. Wild boars, apparently, are very voracious. You have a body you want to get rid of? Feed it to a pig. Pig, yeah, yeah. Another another magazine I was looking at, I was trying to find a good, non-sensationalized version of the story. Mm -hmm. And I came across this headline, Scientists brought a dead pig cells and organs back to life, and yours could be next. (laughs) (laughs) And my what? 
Well, I you know, assume, my cell. Well, I assume they're cell? talking about your heart. I sure that's where they're aiming. Yeah, just my to, heart, though. Yeah, you know, they're making it sound like somehow. Yeah. They're going to reanimate. There's some well, Dr. Frankenstein yeah, moment. Yeah. From Science News. It is, I found, found it in Science News. Okay. A decent story on this one. Okay. I just want people to know that we're, we, we're better than the Washington Post. That's right. Way better. From Science News, a, compl- <laughs> a complex web of pumps, a complex web of pumps, sensors, and artificial fluid can move oxygen, nutrients, and drugs into pigs' bodies, preserving cells and organs that would otherwise deteriorate after their hearts stops pumping. So they get this concoction mm-hmm. that they, they can pump in to, uh, so far, pigs, and it rejuvenates their organs. The finding hints at new ways to keep organs in a body healthy until they can be used for transplantation. Mm. So this is good news. It is. The new system called Organ X. And it's not like SpaceX. It's an EX. Okay. It's not like Elon Musk is getting involved in transplanting organs now, which would be a frightening thing. It is already. The new system called Organ X aims to do the job of hearts and lungs by pumping an artificial fluid through pigs' bodies, mm-hmm. or whatever body you got, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mixed in a one-to-one ratio with the animal's own blood, The lab-made fluid has ingredients that provide fresh oxygen and nutrients, prevents clots, and protects against inflammation and cell death. A similar system might one day be useful for protecting human organs destined to be donated. Yeah. See, now, that's a good news story, huh? That is a very good news story. But Washington Post, they turned into some pig zombie thing. The pig zombie, yeah. Well, you know, and this is obviously... I'm sure there are other people working on this kind of thing all around the world and trying to figure out how we can maintain a heart that's going bad and keep it alive long enough for a, a transplant. I'm sure. Well, it's good news. Yeah. Yeah, right. I think it's yeah. real good news. Yeah. You know, There's, I mean, I, what, was, what I was thinking, though, is like if, if you do die and they want your organs, mm-hmm. what do they do? Do they just keep your whole body going there or do they take an organ out and, and stick this stuff in it? Oof. Because you might have, you might be rich for harvesting. Yeah, they want your kidney, your heart, your yeah. lungs. Yeah. Who knows what else? Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. Mahler, what do you think? Yeah. If this news makes you feel immortal, may I recommend a donation to KUCI while you're still alive? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial-free, free-form, free-speech radio, KUCI 88.9 FM. Uh-huh. Speaking of organ transplant and the Washington Post, from the Washington Post. Mm. Yeah, I just slammed them. Yeah, you did. And now, You're pretty harsh. Yeah? Well, I said we were better than them by a long way. Yeah. <laughs> so... From the Washington Post, stem cell researchers in Israel created synthetic mouse embryos without using a sperm or egg. Yeah, I saw this. Pretty crazy, Yeah, that is, that is. Then they grew them in an artificial womb for eight days. Yeah, that's the new frontier. Everything, you know, from scratch. Yeah. A development that opens a window into a fascinating, potentially fraught realm of science that could one day be used to create replacement organs for humans. Yeah. The objective, scientists involved with the research said, yeah, like we're going to believe them, <laughs> yeah. is not to create mice or babies outside the womb, 
but to jumpstart the understanding of how organs developed in embryos and to use that knowledge to develop new ways to heal people. Wow. If this isn't a field that's fraught with ethical questions, I don't know what is. From a clump of embryonic stem cells, scientists at the Wiseman Institute of Science created synthetic embryos that closely resembled real mouse embryos with rudimentary beating hearts, blood circulation, folded brain tissue, and intestinal tracts. The mouse embryos grew in an artificial womb and stopped developing after eight days, about a third of the mouse uh, pregnancy period. Mm -hmm. Scientists can use such models to peer into the earliest stages of embryonic development and to study how organs form. But like you said, as the models grow closer to in resemblance to the real thing, they also open ethically murky territory. No kidding. For example, at what point do synthetic embryos become so similar to the real thing that they are subject to protections akin to those applied to real embryos? Amen. You know, what what happens when they start doing this with uh, dogs, for example? Oh. Yeah. Oh, What would you think about that, Mahler? Yeah. 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 Not so much. Uh -uh. He doesn't like it. And then... If they had like a duplicate Mahler out there, you know, they were cloning a Mahler. Not and, possible. And, well, yeah, but, you know, close enough <laughs> that we wouldn't be able to tell the difference. And then we'd have to decide, does that Mahler uh-huh. get the same treatment yeah. as our Mahler? Yeah. I don't know. Old, yeah. You know, it would be a question of old Coke, new Coke, right? I mean, which one do you, <laughs> which one do you like better? And I, I. I'm, you know, I'm glad I'm, I'm, you know, I didn't like the new Coke. I know. I I can't, I can't render an opinion. Oh, really? No, no. I mean, something like Coke develops something new and you're, you're not even curious. No, I, I, that's, I've never liked Coke. So unfortunately. Well, that's okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, it depends on, okay. Anyway. I'm not asking you to like start guzzling the stuff. No, no, I I wouldn't know the difference. You could put a, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know the difference. But (laughs) uh, I'm glad to, uh, and proud to say that I'm one of the, old school humans i came into being the old-fashioned way but i fear that in a, in, in a not too distant future that will not be always be the case i'm old school the way i got here everybody here is so far yeah so far yeah, yeah. and but you're afraid that in the future well i'm not afraid they might i start... think this is inevitable i think between... well they might have run into a problem yeah that's true yeah. that's true but between this field of research uh-huh. and crispr we're going to see a real change in the development of human beings. But, but also remember that supposedly these scientists did say what we're looking for is organ transplant. Right. No, I get that. But I mean, is that again, we're going to be looking at a at a situation where there's a a host, a slew of lungs or hearts or something yeah. that are being cultivated in, in a laboratory. It's kind of exciting. <laughs> they could put like a new brain in our dog, you know? <laughs> yeah, Mahler. He likes the idea. <laughs> I like the idea myself. <laughs> a new brain and for give, you? Yeah, give me a new brain. New brains for everyone. <laughs> new brains for everyone. Yeah. Anyway. You, live, you live near the coast. I, I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Speaking of new brains. <laughs> You're there at the coast. Yeah. You walk along the beach. Yes. It's early in the morning. Yes. And there's a big clump of seaweed. Yes. And there's all these bugs around it, and it kind of stinks. Yeah. Do you like that stuff? 
I enjoy everything about being by the ocean. The sea, and I, the and, sea but I, yeah, I understand. And it, you know, rarely, do, again, my sense of smell is not that acute. So I, I just see a clump of stuff with life running around in it, wow. around it. So I don't, it doesn't bother me. I know it can stink, but I never, it's not, doesn't affect. Something I don't worry about. So you can't smell. Oh, is I what can you're smell something, but I I don't have a. My sense of smell is not very good. It's never huh. been. I have oh, a deviated septum. I don't know. Does that matter? Does yeah, that but who? Deviated septum. I oh body surfing. I smashed my face into the into the sand and it cracked my and nose. It a little deviated bit. your septum. It deviated my septum. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it. I probably I doubt it. But ever since, yeah, you would think probably not. No, no I doubt it. Well, I just maybe. don't have a acute sense of smell. So that's never been my. My, my my favorite sense. Your favorite sense? Uh, it's not, unfortunately. Well, I don't know if it, you know, you know, it's one of those things, though, mm-hmm. where if you don't have it, mm-hmm. then you really notice how much you depend on it. Yeah. Or how much, I don't know, depend is the word, but how much it flavors your life. Yeah, I agree. I can smell, I can smell, certain, I can smell, but not, and not very well. I'm not, it's not something... Uh, you know that Tom's toothpaste stuff? Yeah. I tried that once. Uh-huh. And I was brushing my teeth. And then all of a sudden, uh, the only thing I could taste was aluminum. Oh, wow. And that's what it tasted like. Yeah. And I couldn't smell. And, and all I could smell was this aluminum stuff. Yeah. And all I could taste was aluminum. I was eating stuff. And it tasted like aluminum. And this went on for like three or four days. Whoa. At first, I was wondering what was going on. Then I thought, toothpaste. Yeah. And I stopped using it, but it still persisted. Wow. Yeah, and it was it was a uh, unnerving experience. Yeah. Because I thought maybe it was gone. You know, maybe the rest of my life, yeah. I'd be just tasting aluminum. Yeah. Wow. But you're, From, huh? you're but you're okay now. You're What's back. That? You're back to sniffing and snorting and all that stuff, right? You can smell the, with the best of them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, right. I. It was cured. Yeah. Aluminum, the smell of aluminum Mm -hmm. in the morning. Mm -hmm. From Los Angeles Times, a record amount of seaweed is smothering Caribbean coasts from Puerto Rico to Barbados as tons of brown algae, uh, algae, that is, kill wildlife, choke the tourism industry, and release toxic gases. Yeah. Yeah, we got this going on now, as if we didn't have enough. Mm -hmm. More than 24 million tons of sargassum. That's a little brown kind of seaweed yeah, you see in a lot of places. Yeah, yeah. Blanketed the Atlantic in June, up from 18.8 million tons in May. Sounds like a stock report, mm-hmm. which is a new historical record. I was scared, said Shuamin Hu, an optical oceanographer, professor who helps uh, produce the reports. He was scared when he saw the historic numbers for June. Hugh noted that it was 20% higher than the previous record set in May of 2018. Wow. Possible factors include a rise in water temperatures as a result of climate change and also nitrogen-laden fertilizers and sewage waste fueling algal blooms. Large masses of seaweed have a severe environmental impact with decaying algae altering water temperatures and the pH balance, as well as leading to declines in seagrass, coral reef, and sponge populations. Mm-hmm. The concentration of algae is so heavy in some parts of, eastern, of the eastern Caribbean that the French island of Guadalupe issued a health alert in late July. 
It warns some communities about high levels of hydrogen sulfide emanating from huge, rotting clumps of seaweed, which can affect people with respiratory problems, like asthma. What do you think? I think it's uh, not completely out of the realm of a lot of stories that you've read in the past here on Weekly Signals about the oceans, the acidification, the warming of oceans, and the impact it's going to have on all of us. I saw a story a couple of days ago. I'm frantically looking for it because I want to be accurate. About what? About Australia and the coral reefs. Apparently, they've made a rebound. Oh, yeah, yeah. They've made some unexpected rebounds in In some places. Yeah. 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 But 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 the but the kicker in it is they're some of them are doing exceedingly well. Ninety percent of the coral reefs in Australia have shown some improvement over the last year or two. The kicker is the rest. The reason for it is a particular kind of. I don't know what it is, a process that is more prone to the warming of of the ocean water. So it's it seems like it could be a temporary recovery. Uh Not a long-term recovery. And this ties in perfectly with seaweeds. You lived up in the snow, didn't you? Yeah. For three years. I yeah. Did you like it up Sierra there? Sierra Nevada. I loved it. What would you c- call snow? Water? Well, we, we did. Frozen we, water? We used to call it white powder, but then we, that was. Uh, there well, was that's some, a different thing. Yeah. No, it actually, well, it depends on what time of the day it was. But yeah, definitely. White powder, uh. Texas tea. I can't re- No, we call it snow. I White don't know. You call it snow? Yeah. But I mean, if you were going to define pack. it, you're going to tell somebody. Oh, we, well, where I was in the Sierra Nevada mountains, yeah. it was a wetter snow, so we called it uh, Sierra cement. Cement. Yeah. Now, if you were in the, the, in the Rockies, they had a much lighter, less, less fluid, less uh, yeah, liquid in it. Yeah. So it was very light and powdery. Yeah. But but we call it Sierra cement. It but it's just frozen water, and it's it's, it's warming up in the air. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's aerated too. Yeah. That makes it. Yeah. Puffy. It's puffy. Yeah. yeah. It's not like getting a ice cube. Right. Can right. you imagine if snow was like ice cubes? Yeah, it was coming down like ice cubes. Yeah, that wouldn't be good. <laughs> no, it would yeah. not. No, it would From not. From Bloomberg, the Western U.S. is an empire built on snow. Right here, we're built on snow. Yeah, yeah, I thought of it that way, but it and that right. snow is vanishing. Yeah, since most of the region gets little rain in the summer, summer even in good years, yeah. its bustling cities and bountiful farms all hinge on fall and winter snows settling in the mountains before slowly melting into rivers and reservoirs. They always talked about the snowpack in the Sierra Nevada mountains yeah. whenever discussing water. Yeah, that's the way we had a drought. We'd say, yeah, but but it's snowing up north. The Sierra Nevada mountains have a lot of snow. So there you go. Yeah, that snow melt often traveling hundreds of miles from mountaintop to tap Mm -hmm. sustains the booming desert communities of Las Vegas, Phoenix and Salt Lake City and Los Angeles and San Francisco. The civilization of more than 76 million people home to Silicon Valley and Hollywood alike relies on snow. Yeah. Yeah, you think of it that way? Yeah. Casts a different view on this whole part of the world. Mm-hmm. And now, with the Southwest gripped by its worst drought in 1,200 years, there's less precipitation of any kind these days across the region, especially frozen water mm-hmm. with its uh, multi-month staying power. Mm-hmm. It was like just storing a refrigerator or water. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is a real. This is a particularly frightening thing. What you're describing, the fact that we're not getting the amount of snowfall, and I really think that a lot of the people in the upper levels of science and the people who study this stuff are kind of whistling past the graveyard right now. I don't think there there is no real solution, right? You can't make water out of nothing. And I think they're looking at Lake Mead and some of these other reservoirs, and I don't think they have an answer. Yeah. They're just, I'm just going I think the they're, desalinization end of it now, which yeah. is kind of frightening to me. Yeah. I don't know what the end result is going to be on that. I'm afraid that it would be not good for any of the environment. Yeah. I agree. I agree. It would make us maybe able to stay here a little while longer, and then we wouldn't want to be here anymore. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Again, I, we 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 could get a lot of snow over these. You know, there, the 1,200 year drought thing, I'm sure, is scientifically correct. But even within a drought, there are years when you get a lot of snow and a lot of rain. But the overall arching trajectory of where we are is that we are in a drought. We're in a in a region of the country that is now turning into something that it was kind of before but more and more of it as, a, as, a, as an arid area of the world. The West Mountain snowpacks have shrunk on average by 23% between 1955 and 2022. Yep. By the end of this century, California could lose as much as 79% of its peak snowpack. Yeah. From the Washington Post again, because we like that paper so much. Oh, I love that paper. Yeah. You can Excellent paper. Excellent. The $369 billion climate package unveiled by Democrats last week is chock full of subsidies for technologies meant to rein in planet warming pollution. But there's one popular, important, emissions-free machine missing from the legislation, the bicycle. Mm -hmm. Thought about everything else, but they didn't give any boosts for bicycles. Provisions designed to supercharge the sale and use of traditional and battery-powered bikes were dropped from the climate bill, bill reached by Senate Majority Leader Schumer and Jerky Joe Manchin. <laughs> I like to call him Jerky Joe. Jerky That's my, Joe. Yeah. That's a great description of him. That yeah. is an awesome description. Jerky Joe. Jerky Joe Manson. <laughs> Canceled from the deal was a tax credit worth up to $900 to help cyclists purchase electric bikes. Also gone was a pre-tax benefit for commuters to help cover the cost of biking to work. Yeah. Versions of both benefits were included in the roughly $2 trillion spending package that passed the House last year. Yeah. But they took them out of this bill. Yeah. That's too bad. Yeah, it is too bad. And I'll just say, hopefully, that if the Democrats are able to hold on to the Senate and hold on to the House, I think you'll see it come back. I think if you're anywhere in the area of Southern California, certainly here along the coast, electric bikes are everywhere. It's Everything. a little bit scary, though, because people don't really know how to do it yet. Yeah, I agree. I've seen people going like 40 miles an hour down a sidewalk. I know. Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. And and down streets where they're not even paying attention to any cross traffic. It's right. like right. they think, oh, this is fun. Yeah. I, not... I, and not to sound like the guy shaking his fist at the kids down the street, but there are a lot of kids in high school who have electric bikes now. And and they just what you're describing, I see that quite a bit. Yeah. Just hell-bent. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us on the web at KUCI.org, on Facebook at facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at KUCI 
FM. Yeah, modern. I didn't even know you were here. Yeah, sometimes he wanders off into the back part of the property yeah. and just he just kind of disappears for times. Yep. Yeah. From the American Prospect, radical new perspectives on the climate crisis promise to realign expectations about where humans can live and how they can confront a severe extreme weather event like, say, sunny day flooding or hurricanes or bizarre rain and snowstorms and wildfires. Managed retreat. Managed retreat. Uh, that would be responding to the crisis, the climate crisis, by picking up and moving entire neighborhoods or small towns, or by downsizing development in once desirable areas, or by letting other areas return to nature, is clearly a controversial idea today. People get upset when you talk about that. They don't like the word retreat. I think we got to come up with a new word, maybe right now. Yeah, well, let's think about this. Managed yeah. retreat. How about... Managed retreat. Managed... How about get the F out of here? <laughs> but within the next decade, state and local governments will have pointed residents and developers in that direction of managed retreat. Yeah. Or get the F out of here. <laughs> Seeding neighborhoods or more to nature will become a regular feature of planning regimes within a decade. Managed retreat has simple... If hard to accept goals, uh -huh. one of them is ending haphazard development in areas repeatedly hit by storms. Yeah, uh -huh. makes sense to me. Yeah. Or wildfires like Malibu. Yes. Why the hell you'd want to live in a place that burns down every five years, except for its sign value, is absurd. Removing one million homes from the nation's floodplains could save the country one trillion dollars. Yeah. Even though the estimated cost of compensating the homeowners is nearly $200 billion. So even though we'd be spending $200 billion, we'd save $1 trillion over the, the uh, long term. For, the, for a great many of the homes that are in floodplains, they're, they're more likely to be low income. Yeah. That's just the way that, that the real estate market works. That's the way the world works is you're in a floodplain. You're probably spending a lot less for your, for your home. It's not always the case. Well, it's easier to develop, so it's cheaper to sell. Exactly. Yeah. As the federal government reassesses its fiscal and oversight roles, states and localities will foot more of the bills. New Jersey, for example, has already established Blue Acres, a statewide program to handle damaged and flood-prone properties that focuses in part on buying up properties at market rates to return the sites to the wild, recreational or open space. This spring, the state, New Jersey, announced a $50 million investment backed by federal tropical storm Ida dollars into the program for communities affected by Ida. So they're starting to do it in New Jersey, and I think this is going to just yeah. be happening everywhere pretty soon. How about this for a, not managed retreat? Okay. Managed survival. And survival. Oh, survival. I want to make it positive. Okay. Think of it like a Disneyland ride. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. mm -hmm. Magic Mountain. M managed tourism. Man magic tourism. Magic tourism. Magical tourism. Magical tourism. Uh -huh. You thought you liked where you live, but look what look. we have for you. It's a whole mm -hmm. wonderland of new experiences. And you get a free organ transplant. Well, there you go. <laughs> From Common Dreams, 
As fossil fuel giants this week reported record profits for the second quarter, a new analysis highlighted how eight oil companies have raked in nearly $52 billion over the past three months. Yeah. This is what drives me crazy. This is an old story. It feels like this is an evergreen story. Yeah. We're we're watching things happen in front of us. We pretty much know why it's happening because these greedy bastards do it all the time. Uh Uh-huh. Go ahead, Nathan. I'm no, yeah. interrupting there. No, no. Yeah. Keep going. No, I mean, you th- you think, well, no, I mean, maybe it really is the market. Maybe there are things that are going on. Maybe it's on. Joe Biden's maybe fault. It's, it is, maybe it really is sakes. Joe Biden yeah. and Hunter Biden. Don't forget him. Hunter Biden, yeah. Yeah, he's involved he's, in he's this somehow. keeping the oil on his laptop. <laughs> yeah, I just don't get it. I mean, there... The review revealed that from April through June, Chevron, Equinor, ExxonMobil, Hess Corporation, Phillips 66, Shell, and Technip FMC saw their profits skyrocket from the same time period last year, with income shooting up 235%. Jesus. These profits mark a huge transfer of wealth from working and middle-class people to wealthy oil executives and their shareholders. This is why I don't like corporations, because all they're trying to do is please the shareholder. The customer be damned. Big oil companies are making a killing and pouring fuel on the climate fire while communities pay for more and more deadlier climate disasters. It's outrageous, said Richard Wiles, president of the Center for Climate Integrity. Electric officials cannot remain silent in the face of this injustice, whether it's taxing these companies' record profits or taking them to court to make polluters pay for climate damages they knowingly cause. It's time to stand up to big oil. It's been a long, long, long overdue to stand up to big oil. Why don't they drag some of these guys in front of a a, a committee, swear them in and say, you have not been price gouging. There used to be a, a presidential power uh-huh. They could come in and prevent companies and industries from gouging. They had price gouging legislation on the books, which I'm sure the Republicans have gutted. And yeah, you're right about capitalism. This is all encouraged. This is the whole idea of capitalism. Maximize profit at all costs. Yep. Do you ever worry about getting hit by space debris, Mike? You know, we're sitting here right at yeah, KCI right now. right now. A big chunk of something could yeah, come through the roof and we'd be gone. In a, we're sitting in a motor, mobile home. Yeah. Right? Well, this it's is, not a home. This, well, it was. It could be. Could be a home. It could be a it's home. A, it's, it's a home a to be. double wide. It's a double wide. Yeah. And the, the roof is made out of aluminum foil. Yeah. I mean, it's not like we'd be protected. We, we need some heavier construction on the roof to protect <laughs> us from asteroids. We need asteroid God protected roofing. From Scientific American, long considered trivial, the effects of rocket launches and re-entering space debris could soon become too large to ignore. A dramatic death by plummeting rocket isn't the only risk, however. The greater threat could come from ever-increasing amounts of space debris burning up in our planet's fragile upper atmosphere, with resulting long-term impacts on global climate and stratospheric ozone. Researchers reported that black carbon Soot particles released by rockets are almost 500 times more efficient at holding heat in the atmosphere. That's not good. Mm -mm. And there's still a risk of getting hit. Mm -hmm. He had like a double whammy here. Mm -hmm. Michael Bryars of the University of British Columbia and his colleagues calculated that under current practices, there's roughly a 10% chance that you, Mike, will be hit by freely falling debris from orbit. 
and it will cause more. Actually, what it is is 10% chance that a rocket falling freely from orbit will cause one or more injuries or deaths mm -hmm. over the next decade. So, so if you stand close to each other, you yeah. know, it'll cause two deaths. Yeah, it could, could be. A, now, it's not so much that that's a big deal. You know, one or two people getting hit. But can you imagine what the world's going to be like at that point? Just walking down the street, yeah. there's this paranoia of getting smacked by something that someone rocketed up to in space a year or so before. I do know that NASA's spent a lot of money monitoring meteors and, and yeah. rocks flying around out there yeah. on, in the off chance they're going to land on on us. Yeah. And there was one that they just had that came within a, like 100,000 miles or something. It's fairly close to the Earth. The size of two football fields. Wow. They said if it hit the the planet, our uh -huh. planet, this planet. This one. This one right here. Uh -huh. It'd be like a thousand nuclear weapons going off at the same time. So you're saying it wouldn't be good? Probably not. Yeah. But, it, but yeah. yeah From Slate Magazine, Arizona Republicans. <laughs> I know. That's funny. Arizona That's Republicans funny. voted to make one of the most dangerous election deniers in the country, Mark Fincham, the party's nominee for Secretary of State. Mm -hmm. Winning in the general election would put Fincham squarely in charge of voting in one of the 2024's most pivotal swing states, mm -hmm. Arizona. All he has to do is win one more election here yeah. This at the end in November. Yeah. Fincham has lent his support to QAnon, called the COVID vaccine a crime against humanity, dismissed the 2017 white supremacist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, as a deep state psyop, was part of the mob that rioted outside the Capitol on January 6th and once boasted of being a member of one of the militias that is going on trial for allegedly leading the assault on the Capitol. That's the guy who's going to, could... Be in charge of the elections in be, Arizona. Yeah, be in charge of the elections and swing a whole federal election. Yeah, well, Arizona, uh, Biden car carried Arizona by around 10,000 votes. Yeah, and he says... If he wins, he wants to decertify the 2020 election in Arizona. Right. I don't even know what that would entail. Right. But he also would be in the position of making any election, federal, state, local election in, in uh, uh, Arizona, yeah. just disqualifying people because they're Democrats, because they won, because they couldn't possibly win right. because they're Democrats. Right. This is happening in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, a lot of key back battle, sorry, battleground states that this is happening in. Yeah. By the way, real quick, I know we talked about this before. I just want to put it out there again. The Republican Party, the grand old party, has won since 1988, has won one popular vote for president one time since 1988. They won in 2004. George Bush ran for reelection as a wartime president. He won. That's the only time since 1988 that the Republicans have won the popular vote. Yep. So, yes, they're scared. They're going to lose forever if they don't start cheating. And that's well, what they might is. want to develop their brain cells not and, and yeah. get no. yeah. up to date on I things. Know. But now, why do that? From BBC News, new research shows that rainwater in most locations on Earth contains levels of chemicals that greatly exceed safety levels. The synthetic substances, these synthetic substances called PFAS. You know those guys, uh -huh. PFAS, uh -huh. are used in nonstick pans, firefighting foam, and water repellent clothes. clothes. Dubbed forever chemicals, they persist for years in the environment. Now there's no safe place on Earth to avoid them. Yeah. The researchers from Stockholm University says it's, said it's vitally, vitally important that they 
that the use of these substances is rapidly restricted. Yep, scientists fear PFAS may pose health risks, including cancer. They have been growing increasingly concerned that the proliferation of PFAS in recent years. PFAS stands, by the way, for poly and perfluoroalkyl substances. Wow. There's about 4,500 of these fluorine-based compounds, and they're found in almost every dwelling on Earth in hundreds of everyday products. Like I said before, food packaging, nonstick cookware, rain gear, adhesives, paper, and paints. And for the record, soil around the world is similarly contaminated by PFAS. We reported on that a while yeah, back. Yeah, we did. And that, those are the evergreen pollutants. Yeah. They just don't go away. From the New York Times, scientists published the latest images from NASA's James Webb Space Telescope. The newest uh, release documents the Cartwheel Galaxy which is about 500 million light years from our planet and is aptly named for its wheel-like appearance, complete with a center hub, a tire, and even wavy fluorescent spokes. Astronomers have been studying the Cartwheel Galaxy for decades. Cartwheel's appearance comes from a collision with another galaxy that occurred hundreds of millions of years ago. The smaller gal galaxy, rather than getting stuck in a large spiral, it penetrated continued on, moving away from the larger one. So it went right through the center. And they're usually uncommon in deep space, mm -hmm. uh, though it's, they're, they're not uncommon, I should say. They're not, it's not that unusual for galaxies to collide. But this one's odd just because of the way it went through. Because a smaller galaxy crashed into a larger one and straight through the middle, it formed a gravitational radius. What changed the cartwheel shape was the influence of this other galaxy's gravitational field that changed the orbits of stars in the original cartwheel galaxy. Wow. So there. Wow. It's pretty cool. If yeah. you have a chance, go look at it. Yeah, There's this, a lot of pictures of it online. and This is because of James Webb Telescope. Yeah. yeah. And they're getting a better view of everything there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's because of the mid-infrared and near-infrared light wavelength uh, translators they have on board now as opposed to the old Hubble telescope. There was a, uh, they're picking up some data from, from the Webb uh, telescope uh -huh. that is calling into question the fundamentals of our ideas of physics. There are some things that are coming in as data uh -huh. that just don't add up in the way that we've interpreted the world around us. Uh -huh. And that's where we're gonna find more and more of that. Well, I would hope so. Yeah. I wouldn't want things to stay the same. Yeah. I guess they are staying the same. Well, yeah. my perception We're, of them is changing, go. which is always exciting. Why? You know what I? That's the difference between conservatives and liberals. Yeah. Yes. We like the ride. <laughs> they want to stay. Uh, you know. Yeah. Stay at the. What do they call it? The loading dock. Yeah. They just want to stay on. They just want to ride the Matterhorn for the rest of their life. Uh, they don't even want to start. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I guess, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm like okay. Vin Scully. What about Vin Scully? Well, you know, he died. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, I hadn't heard. Everybody was talking about it. I know. But you know, but he was kind of a jerk. I mean, he was a wonderful announcer. Fantastic. He, he did. I I can't name a better uh, sports announcer. I can't. He had that. a great voice for it. He had a nice temper for it. He was uh, eloquent. And got the game. Yeah. That was another important thing. He was smart enough to know when to 
talk and when not to talk. Right. But in real life, yeah, well, he was, yeah. he was he was a Reaganite. Yeah, he was. He he I was neighbors. Huh? They, he and uh, Ronnie were neighbors up in uh, Hidden Hills. They, really? Yeah, back in the day. Yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and you know, I'm, he, okay. he spoke out against the and he didn't want to watch the NFL anymore be, be, because Kaepernick thing. Kaepernick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is the type of guy that He's, Vince Scully was. Yeah, Vince Scully's my dad. My dad's Vince Scully in the yeah. terms of the culture that they grew up in, all that. My dad used to be a IBM salesman for IBM. He used, uh -huh. And one of his territories was, was Hawaii. So he would fly to Hawaii a half a dozen times a year. And this is back in the 80s. Gets on a plane to fly to Hawaii, uh -huh. walks up to his seat, and sitting next to where he was designated to sit uh -huh. is Vin Scully. Okay. So he sits down next to him. He doesn't say anything because in his mind, he, did, he wanted to respect his privacy. So they fly all the way to Hawaii. Uh -huh. And as the they're disembarking from the plane, he says, "Mr. Scully, I'm, I, you know, I know who you are. I, I just I wanted to respect your privacy, yeah. and I'm I, I'm a huge fan." And Vince Scully talked to him for a couple of minutes after that. Oh, just nice. had a nice conversation with him. But they were the same age. They leave it look alike. I mean, it's, it's a huh. little bit of a, they're Irish Catholics and all You're, that. So stuff. if I see your dad next time and I call him, <laughs> Vinny. Hey, wait, I thought you were dead. <laughs> oh, Frank. No, just a, I thought just you were Vince Scully. It's just a, a little story. Yeah. I mean, again, they're, they're very yeah. much of the no, same. I'm not saying. No, this, I know. This I know is what the you're odd saying. Thing, I Because I, 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 I wrote something. I posted it on, on the, uh, the site where you go to for weekly signals. Yes. About, That's and also my Facebook site. Nathan okay. Callahan, boom, you go there. Yeah. Also this story. Okay, so and go ahead. It's like people, uh, what's well, kind of hard to, to separate the, the nice guy yeah. of Vince Scully yeah. from the person who is kind of a jerk politically. Yeah, I, I and totally I get it. And I post this thing and I say pretty much that during yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. And, and people are kind of, you know, they just don't like this at all. Vince Gully was the best thing that ever happened to L.A. <laughs> yeah. ever, yeah. is what people are saying. I'm going, <sighs> yeah, I mean, maybe in your mind he was, yeah. and maybe that, that's a good thing. I'm not saying that he did anything wrong, right. uh, except he had horrible political pr uh, policies in his head, yeah. locked in. Yeah. And that's and your your dad's a great guy. I totally. This is exact. That's why I'm saying they're very yeah. similar. Very similar. And, and I think yeah. unless maybe you grow way. up in that environment yeah. where you realize that, you know, you grow up in a family and you love your family and they're so wonderful, right. and then you mm -hmm. see the real world and you realize, hey, they're a little bit racist. <laughs> yeah. 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 These people aren't right. You yeah. know, they're yeah. they're not really reflect. They're very privileged. Yeah. I know folk that have no idea how much other people struggle to get half of what they have. Right. I, yes. Yeah. And that's Vin Scully. Yes. And finally, from the Huffington Post, Spain has sweltered for more than a month with temperatures in parts of the country often above 104 degrees Fahrenheit. Rising energy costs for households and businesses in Spain have been a major issue in recent months, especially since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So the government of Spain has urged people to reduce electricity costs by not overusing air conditioning. Taking it, taking it a step further, this week, Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez asked government officials and people working in the private sector to save energy 
by giving up wearing neckties at work. That's right. Sanchez said the plan was designed to reduce energy dependency on the aggressor Putin. <laughs> I'd like you to note that I'm not wearing a tie, and I've asked my ministers not to, Sanchez said, before unveiling his plan for a clothing-optional referendum. You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.